Hi, everybody. This is your town manager, Alex Torpy, here with a Community Spotlight episode. Um, in this episode, we talk to Dr. Caitlin Morse, the founder and executive director of Bebop Labs. Though Lyme disease impacts somewhere between 300,000 and 400,000 people annually in the United States alone, and itself is only one of several tick-borne illnesses that many believe may be on the rise, but whose pathology is not very well understood and creates many challenges for individuals and our healthcare system at large. In New England, this is especially relevant, especially for those of us who spend any time outside, which I think is most of us. So I wanted to bring together some information for the community in time for Lyme Awareness Month, which was in May. I'm a little delayed in getting this episode out, as we had originally intended on doing sort of a series of conversations, but schedules were hard to pin down. And although I may do some more episodes in the future, because this is such an important and wide-ranging topic, I did want to release this really great conversation with Caitlin, who has a wealth of knowledge and resources through Bebop Labs. In our chat over Zoom, Caitlin and I talk about how Bebop Labs, an Upper Valley nonprofit, has been tracking tick-borne illness data, relying on folks sending in ticks, which you can learn how to do in the show notes, and what they have been learning from a truly incredible amount of data collection. We talk about what trends Caitlin and others uh, have been seeing, and general tick safety with some tips that are good to know for anyone living in New England, especially if you spend time outside hiking or gardening or have pets, including some basic things you can do while spending time outside or even in your garden to reduce potential tick exposure. Bebop Labs is doing important and complex work, and they have a truly astonishing amount of information on their website, which you can find links to in the show notes. In this episode, we talk more about ticks and uh, tick-borne illnesses than Lyme disease itself. But what I might say normally if discussing something that touches on a medical issue on the podcast is some sort of disclaimer that you should really talk to your doctor or primary care physician, and this isn't meant to be medical advice. As someone who has struggled with Lyme and related issues for years and is firsthand aware of how Lyme is treated by most medical practitioners, which is to say it's not very well understood and most practitioners are not up to date on the latest research that is happening right now. So you should speak not only to a medical professional, but you'll likely need to do your own research and be your own advocate as well. Ideally, if you or someone you know might be struggling with issues related to Lyme or struggling with medical issues that you don't know what the cause is, but you have not been tested for Lyme, you may consider finding an MD who has a demonstrated practice or expertise with Lyme or other tick-borne illnesses. And that, combined with your own research and advocacy, is likely to be your best bet in finding resources and support that might help you or those you know. Of course, prevention practices are very valuable as well, and those are more well understood, and we do talk about that in this episode, and you can find more information from several different resources that I include in the show notes. So thanks for uh, checking out this conversation and hope you enjoy it. I am here with Caitlin Morse, the president and founder and executive director uh, of Bebop Labs. Um, Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Um, and so Caitlin has a doctorate um, in immune, uh, immunology or infectious diseases. Did I get that right? Yep. Um, and has done a ton of really interesting work um, in Bebop Labs around infectious diseases and 
Um, and so, Caitlin, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and tell us for folks that may not have heard about Bebop Labs. I think I learned about it through an article I saw in Daybreak. Um, but for folks who may not be familiar, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and what Bebop Labs does. Um, so I'm Dr. Caitlin Morris. I have a PhD in immunology or infectious disease where I co-created a vaccine against a tick-borne pathogen called anaplasmosis. Um, anaplasmosis is actually the most prevalent tick-borne pathogen worldwide um, because it infects the cattle too. So that's why it's more prevalent than other mm. pathogens. I've been working in that field. I mean, I got my PhD in 2011. So it's been what, 15 or so years that, um, yeah, that I've been working in that field and keeping up to date on ticks and tick-borne diseases. So growing up in Vermont, I didn't see a lot of ticks until I moved back from doing my PhD to um, I live in New Hampshire now, but I grew up in Vermont, and at my parents' house, there's way more ticks, and as a mother, I have to be really diligent about my tick checks, mm. and um, Bebop Labs was formed in 2018. I formed it for many reasons, and one of them being that I wasn't able to find a lot of the information that I wanted to in our state, New Hampshire, about the ticks that were out there, when we find them, where they are, what diseases they're carrying, just the public health database wasn't out there and I'm knowledgeable enough about the area that I knew there needed to be more information. And I'm also an advocate for personalized health. So um, Bebop Labs is formed to track impacts to health and just started with ticks, tick-borne diseases. It's a fun way to get hands-on science into everyday lifestyle and see how your immunology and impacts to health affect you every day. Tick's a great example of that. Yeah. And so how does Bebop Labs, I mean, you have sort of a um, an interesting way that you collect data and it sounds like you rely a lot on um, volunteers and people sending things in. Talk to us a little bit about how you do your uh, uh, data collection, what you're looking for. Um, so Bebop Labs is a 501c3 it's volunteer run there's not a lot of funding that goes into the organization we um, ask for donations so that we can provide free tick testing so right off the bat of forming debop labs i was very innovative in how we created the project because to make it hands-on and keep it local and to get as much information as we could with very little money. So what we do is we actually, well, COVID claimed a lot of these titles, but Bebop Labs was doing it way before COVID, which is like contract tracing. And we mm. basically, we do contract tracing of ticks and tick-borne diseases. And what that means is we ask people who find a tick in their everyday life to jot down when they found it, where they found it, if it was crawling or biting them, or their dog or um, or another animal um, or family member and be as specific as possible with where they found it so that we can be more specific than just a state or a county within New Hampshire. We can go down to the town level or even maybe a hiking trail uh, and then they mail them to me. And when I get a tick in the mail, I get Right now it's heavy tick season. So we're getting like hundreds in the mail every week, it seems like. Wow. 
Um, yeah, a huge stack of letters right here to um, inventory. And what inventorying means is I get a tick and I'll identify it. And we keep records of when and where all the ticks were found and all the other questions um, that are on the survey, the questionnaire. And I keep a database and then we raise money to provide free tick testing and Bebop Labs doesn't guarantee a turnaround time for that. Um, we don't have enough funds, so we, um, at the end of the season, where we can get a bulk discount, we track how much money we've raised with to see how many ticks we can test, and then we test as many as we can. We prioritize black-legged ticks from New Hampshire. Um, we've got a huge database. It's worldly renowned. Um, the number of ticks we've gathered in the state of New Hampshire is unprecedented, and and the publication that just came out in April is very unique because we had no bias about what ticks were out there, what they were carrying, what they were doing. We just opened our brain to what it was going to be. Um, and a lot of publications narrow it down to black-legged ticks who are carrying Lyme disease. Um, but we tested for more diseases than Lyme. We found other species other than the black-legged tick. And... Um, we worked with people from Spain to make the publication. So I, I'm not kidding when I say it's worldly renowned. It's a database that um, academics and even towns and states look for and have copied. Our program has been copied globally as well as within the United States because we can do it efficiently, effectively, and cheaply. And you make a lot of this uh, available on your website. There's like a ton of amazing resources. How often is all of that um, kind of updated? It's, it's not updated enough. I would love to update it quarterly in the year. Um, hmm. but it, right now it's maybe annually or biannually. It was hard last year because we're in the thick of writing a publication. So we're behind on updating the website. Um, there's enough information where you can really get an idea of the ticks in New Hampshire. Um, it needs more information about uh, other states. We really focus on New Hampshire because UBOP Labs is the only organization in New Hampshire that tracks ticks and tick-borne diseases, and all of our neighboring states have a state department that doesn't, and they do a really good job at putting that information out there for, um, like, Vermont, Maine. Maine and Massachusetts, Connecticut's fantastic. Rhode Island now has copied Bebop Labs program and they do a really good job, but they've always had to. Um, so even before Bebop Labs. So there's, yeah, New Hampshire's just lacking in that area. Um, but Bebop Labs has now proven that we can do it. Uh, not, we don't have to do it on the state level. And state right. I mean, state organizations now do the Labs program. So uh, just New Hampshire hasn't tied in yet. And what sort of things, um, what, what have you been seeing over the last few years? Are there trends that are emerging? I mean, if people, and I'll include a link to the website in the show description so people can go look through um, all of the like tremendous information data that you all have online. But um, uh, what, what are some of the high level stuff? What are you seeing out there? 
I mean, there's so much I can, that question is. <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I'm going to start is this lesson number one, when I go give a workshop at any location that I'm giving, it doesn't matter age, group, scenario, the number one lesson that Bebop Labs and me tries to teach is tick identification because Bebop Labs primarily receives two types of ticks in the mail. Um, black-legged ticks or ICSID scapularis and the American dog tick or dermocentric variabilis. And you can identify these ticks on multiple ways to differentiate them. You can differentiate them by size, color, when they pop out in the year, like their peak, um, their questing habits, the diseases they carry, the environment that they like their life cycle. Um, so we've seen that they are very unique in their activities, their patterns, their distribution. Uh, and the fact that they have an overlapping season means that this season right now, our diligence to do that tick identification and those tick checks is very important. And and for the person, for the kind of average person out there who might spend time outdoors, what's important for them to know about the difference and why should they know the difference and how to ID a tick? Uh, well, I would say that the most important lesson that I would take personally um, is that these ticks have a different risk of transmitting a disease and they carry different diseases. Uh, and the percentage of the dog ticks are very, very low in New Hampshire that carry disease. It's 0.1%, I believe, is what we put mm. in the paper. Um, we only got one tick infected out of all the years that we've gathered the dog ticks. Wow. The one was tested positive. And for the black-legged ticks, they are very common to carry disease. It's about 42% of them that carry a disease so that's what two out of five it's getting close to 50 percent there so every five ticks you find on you two of them are going to be infected there's a high level chance that that could be co-infected we actually only found seven percent of the ticks being co-infected with more than one disease um so uh, when you find a dog tick they're bigger they're easier to find on you and they're more prevalent in New Hampshire. And the black-legged ticks are smaller, harder to find. You could find the dog tick and then miss the black-legged tick because, oh, you found one, you don't need to look for a second, but they're probably out there too because they're through peak season right now for both of them. Hmm. Early, a little early season for dog tick. They peak in June, but they're out um, right now. We got some in the mail already, but uh, yeah. So I don't worry as much about the dog ticks biting me I pull them off. I'm not squeamish anymore. I get millions of ticks. In, in <laughs> right. I'm sure if you've got a pile of them waiting for you. Right. Yeah. Like sitting right next to me. Um, my husband doesn't let me store them in the freezer anymore. Uh, uh, I, I could imagine hated, that being a debate. Yeah. He hated that they were like laying their eggs in my freezer or in our freezer next to our ice cream. I mean, these, the ticks were contained, but they would literally lay their eggs in our freezer and so he put a hard no on no more ticks in the freezer. So they're not. So a question about that. I mean, does that mean, you know, I think a lot of people's intuition would be that in that cold of a space, they wouldn't be really active. But 
I also understand there might be a little misinformation about what time of year and what temperature ranges they're active in. So, for example, in winter um, up here, do people still need to be thinking about ticks? We get ticks in the mail for every month of the year. The black-legged ticks are more predominant every month of the year, so they're out all year round, the black-legged ticks. They just have peaks where they're like higher numbers and more active to seeking a human blood meal. Um, right. And then there's the, the dog tick is really only out during the summer. But then there's that related moose tick, winter tick that comes out in the fall. So we do see some of those occasionally come in very low numbers um, of the moose tick because they like their moose. But hmm. um, so, yes, ticks are out all year round. You have to check your do your tick checks. If you're out, ticks are out. Um, I would just right. be careful every every time of the year, every month of the year. Um, they're going to be higher chance of you getting a black legged tick now in May than it is in January, but we got ticks in the mail in January too, just this year. Wow. And are there, I mean, you know, with some of the changing um, dynamics in our climate and it seems like we're having uh, warmer temperatures in the winter, um, is the geographic range um, of these uh, creatures um, I would imagine that that's been expanding and that probably 20 years ago in New England looked very different tick-wise than it did now. Is is that your sense of it as well? Yeah, I mean, you're hitting upon the problem that I noticed when I moved back to New Hampshire, Vermont area, is that like there's people in New York that have 10 years worth of the 20 years now data that they've collected in their private little stash of ticks and they've seen an increase over a 10-year span and we don't have that information for new hampshire which goes to show how it's important to update that every year the surveillance and the ticks that are out there on my personal journey i have noticed that at my parents house when i was young there was no ticks and now 30 years later uh almost 40 years later they uh are way more prevalent my father's used to say he's never seen a tick and now he's like pulling them off of them, um and doing mm. tick checks so there's a yeah in my personal experience i've seen that and in the small very small years of data that bebop labs have collected we started in 2017 which is our learning curve so the actual data that i presented in a publication is starting at 2018 um, because it's more consistent from then and then moving on and it's hard to say if i saw a shifting pattern in that tiny subset of years uh, but what i did see is black legged ticks kept coming they come out all year round but like i said there's two peaks for them and the early peak in may that exponential increase of numbers happened earlier and earlier every year right so, that goes to show that temperatures are playing a role on when they come out more prevalent. Uh, and well, also, you know, if it's warmer in February, then people are going to be out. So there's going to be more ticks sent to Bebop Labs. Too. It's just the nature of our program as well. Right, right. Now, it's uh, so it's interesting. One of the things that, um, you know, certainly come up in conversations I've had with people about ticks. And I, and I remember, I don't know where these projects are at. I remember reading years ago about some researchers who were looking at 
you know, trying to figure out ways to eliminate mosquitoes in certain areas of the world by doing some weird kind of, I don't know, gene editing things. So the prior, you know, the next generations couldn't reproduce. I got to imagine as much as ticks uh, cause so many problems and those problems, especially as we're collecting data now, which I don't think we always were. And we didn't have, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have the same um, knowledge about Lyme and about some of the co-infections that we do now. But I got to imagine that these creatures play some sort of important role in the ecosystems that they're in. Are animals feeding on them? What are some of the, you, I imagine you couldn't just excise ticks from, you know, a, I don't know, a New England forest and everything would be just fine. Or maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm just sort of hoping or dreaming. But but what, what sort of role do they play in the ecosystem? Uh, so possums love to eat ticks. Turkeys, mm. guinea hens, they are our food, um, chickens. So I, I you know possums eat the most. So I like okay. Um, so there yeah. are food, but there's other food out there. And uh, yeah, there's other food out there that so, uh, and the ticks aren't necessarily the ones carrying the disease because when the ticks lay their three million eggs in the leaf litter, those eggs, um, that diseases that the mother would be carrying are not transmitted to the egg, at least in a hard shell tick. Um, the hmm. Asian longhorn tick is slightly different, but in these dermocenter variabilis dog ticks and ixodescapularis black-legged tick, they, the diseases are not transmitted to their egg. And so in order for the larvae or the nymph to acquire a disease, they'd have to um, feed on an infected rodent. And so usually it's the rodents that carry the diseases uh, that the ticks can carry. So there is a whole number of research that's been done on um, trying to stop the infection at the mouse level. Like, right. And also on the saliva level, there's a cool research doing right now on getting like a tick saliva vaccine. I think it's in phase two actually. Um, yeah, it was in phase two the last time I checked. It's going maybe even past phase two, going into phase three now. Um, uh, basically a vaccine that targets the saliva that ticks spit into you when they bite. And so you'll never get infected because it's going to, it's going to mitigate a tick transmitting anything. That is very interesting. Um, and and so does that also mean that, I mean, are there's research out there that is like maybe looking at, I don't know, for the rodents to get the vaccines and then oh, yes. that helps cut it off. Right, right. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's like, I think there's even down in Cape Cod, there's or an, there's an island somewhere where they have a, like a huge uh rodent like a mouse study going on with ticks and oh yeah disease yeah where they've mm. all gene edited all the mice um so and that's been ongoing for years yeah it's interesting i mean it sounds like it's a pretty complex sort of web of connections and there's yeah. maybe multiple ways in theory at least um that we can try to cut off at least because it seems like this is growing it's not that this is an issue and it's just kind of on the sidelines and it's X amount every year, but that the number of um, uh, infections is actually growing every year. Yeah, and I didn't see a statistical significance of number of ticks growing every year or okay. number of diseases growing every year. It's hard because um, 
okay, let's say that Bebop Labs collected 2,000 ticks in total over four years that are black-legged, and we tested all of them. Let's say we tested all of them. Only, you know, less than 1,000 of them, well, 800 of them are going to be infected with something or so. You know, I'm doing my math very vague. And then to get, and that N, that N just keeps decreasing. So to try to get a correlation of diseases, how they're increasing is, it's statistically hard until you start compiling years together instead of going from one year to the next, you add three years to the next three years, then you're probably right. in. Um, so that's tricky and that's why we need ongoing surveillance as well. Um, and I mean, you look at what Bebop Labs has done. We in the publication, I think we quantified over fourteen thousand ticks that we collected for the state of New Hampshire. That's more ticks than most research agencies collect for the entire United States. Um, but we did it for the geographical region of New Hampshire. So our database is very, very robust, and we have a very high level of N in a statistical number to get some of those questions answered but still wasn't able to so we need even more and more and more it's just never ending and the um there's new models that are coming out like i'm working with dartmouth as well to create a a new model for tracking climate markers like temperature and humidity and even host patterns or acorn blooms and land use patterns to try to like figure out if any of those affect ticks and we can better predict it. Um, they're all just fun scientific questions that you ask and then try to test it. But uh, in the end, just general surveillance of opening your mind to seeing what is out there is important because um, new species of ticks could pop up too. And we can't just get tunnel vision into these two species. Right, right. It's a complicated, it's like, I'm, I'm teasing you with how complicated it is actually. I'm sure, I'm sure. And I think for people, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, part of what we're trying to do, and I think obviously part of what you all are trying to do is not only do the complicated analyses and try to really understand what's happening, but also try to give people out there who, um, you know, aren't going to get a, um, you know, don't have a, a PhD in the subject, the ability to know more and take some proactive steps um, in their own sort of lives um, to try to help a little bit. And so I know we covered a couple of these things already, but what are the top things that people, you know, just the average person who might be, you know, taking their dog outside for walks in the woods and, um, you know, what should they be aware of? Um, so dogs, there's, okay, there's, I, there's several topics that I'm going to address on that question. Dogs, um, for one, have more protection than humans. So if you protect your dog, then you can protect your family. Dogs can get a pill that helps take, kills ticks when they bite them. And they also have a, an oil or pesticide oil that you can put on their back, depending on the breed. And cats can't have a different one because than dogs, because cats have a can get a neurological issue from it, um, from depending on the pesticide that's in there. Um, then they also, dogs have a Lyme vaccine, and the Lyme is only for Lyme disease, not against anaplasmosis or babesiosis. Uh, so if you can get all of those three things for your dog, then that will help your family as well. Also getting into the habit of doing the tick check when you go outside. Right. 
get an idea, you know, there, there is a lot of information about where in your environment you're going to find a tick. Wherever you think there's a rodent or a pile of leaf litter where they can lay their eggs, if you go into a big pile of leaves, definitely do your tick check after that. Um, tall grass, for they like to quest and go up and try to get there. Um, and then also depending, it, like I said, you can find ticks all year round, but they do have seasons where they are higher in abundance and you're more likely to find a tick. So know those seasons, know that May, that black-legged ticks peak in May and October and the dog ticks peak in June. Um, understand that and then make sure you're more diligent about spraying your shoes with permethrin, um, doing your tick checks, if, and noting that you rake the pile of leaves that morning, you're going to have to right. be more diligent and also be more on top of making sure your pets are taken care of so that they can take care of your family too. Yeah. And now is that a thing that people need to worry about as far as when it's not just the ticks that are biting the dogs, but that also the ticks can be brought inside. So if you've got a dog on your couch or in your bed or something and they, they might be you know, very floofy, bringing in all sorts of ticks hidden in there that they could then transfer over from the dog to the person. Is that right? Yep, they do. Yeah. Um, I see that all the time. I always had a dog and they crawl up. They, I treat my dog with everything. Um, and so they crawl, they can not die immediately. And then since the dog's not the best host, so they crawl off and go to one of us um, right. in, in the house. But um, usually that's, we, uh, they usually die before because my dog's very treated. So usually they die. Okay. So I'll find like a dead one on the floor. Like, okay, let's put that one in the inventory. <laughs> <laughs> right. Add that to the freezer. Um, <laughs> well, they're not in the freezer anymore. My husband would be mad, but yes, essentially add that one to the freezer, essentially. Um, so where do you think, I mean, what do you think, you know, looking out in, and this might be too, you know, uh, obviously none of us have like a crystal ball, but like, you know, looking out in the next five or 10 years, are there, you know, things, what do you think, um, where do you see things going and are there things that individuals or local governments or organizations like such as a trust that owns a bunch of land that people that's publicly accessible. Are there things that folks like those should be thinking about going forward? Um, I would say that surveillance needs to be more diligent, especially in the state of New Hampshire. And I would say that needs to be automated in a way mm. that we can be more diligent about it. There are apps out there that people have tried and tested, but in the end, we need to have some expert that IDs them and then can test them for the disease as well. And so if we can automate that, um, which you can now since COVID has increased the handheld diagnostic devices, um, we can do that with ticks. And so that's something that needs to happen. And when that does, then all of these little policies that you're saying can be put in place. Um, I'm an advocate for tick tubes, but not everybody likes them. So I always say that putting tick tubes and I like them because they don't kill your honeybees, but the bumblebees do nest in an area that a rodent would be, and that's where the tick tubes would go because they're targeting the rodent's nests with cotton balls that are treated with permethrin. Hmm. Um, so the bumblebees are as well. Like, yeah, they get targeted a little bit with the tick tubes too, but in my property, they've been wonders and I 
saw a couple bumblebees today. So, um, the, mm, yeah, okay. I would say that tick tubes are good, and I, I don't like the sprays of the yard, so I wouldn't put a policy for that. It's just right. Um, I, and the surveillance is important because when if you can track a hiking trail or a specific field or specific t even a town that has more than others then you can control that in a better way we have tried to predict where the higher numbers of ticks are going to be using climate modeling and the database that people labs has put together i would say it's still gray it's not black and white any it's still hard to really say um but there's definitely patterns to where humans are, more ticks are, uh, dog ticks are pretty much everywhere. Uh, Black-legged ticks fall where the humans are, but again, we didn't see a statistical correlation to population and the numbers of ticks. It just looked like that in a pattern when you look at our maps. It's, I don't know, policy's tricky with infectious disease. That is, that certainly yeah. we, yes, that's true. Um, and it also sounded like there were some ways that people, like let's say in their own yards or on their own property, that they could be maybe more mindful of leaf piles and maybe separating. Is there some things that people can do, um, you know, in their garden or in their yard or on their own property that can help at least control maybe where the ticks might like most likely be? We have a Bebop Labs is an infographic of a, somebody's yard and what you can do in the yard to um, like lower, decrease the amount of ticks. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I like tick tubes and you put those where rodents are, but you can't put them near any aquatic life. Um, so you put them at the foundation of your house or in stone walls or in piles of wood. Keep your yard raked. You can put border around your yard depending on the size of property you have. You can put a border of wood chips that ha release an oil for the crawling insects, like pine or cedar, and those release an oil that would. So ticks breathe out of their legs. So if you can put something oily down that is not for a flying insect, but for a, one that's crawling you can clog their pores on their legs and suffocate them and die with the oils that they can mm. do their legs. So think about that and then keep your yard mode. And ferns have evolutionarily evolved to have this natural pesticide. They're an ancient organism. Ferns are one of our old ones. And if you, if you notice, if you walk through a field of ferns, there's very little mosquitoes and bugs because they repel them. So hmm. keeping ferns in your garden and on, don't keep them sprouting up in your yard. And depending on the size, again, I have a bigger, I have five acres. So we, there's not every, not all the five acres are we used on a daily basis. It's more woody. So in the woody areas, I don't get rid of the ferns and I have ferns in my gardens too. That's great. Um, well, I'm sure that we could probably go on for, for many hours about all the different uh, kind of complexities here. Um, but are there things that, um, you know, any sort of, uh, uh, you know, final thoughts or misperceptions out there, you know, that you'd love to um, kind of toss out for folks um, here? Um. I would say that one of the things that Bebop Labs is actively searching to do, there's two things. 
well, maybe three. Um, one is we don't have very good surveillance of Coas County in New Hampshire. Uh, there's either it's, our project is not like well advertised up there or there's just not enough people or I mean there's definitely ticks up there we've got them before we just haven't gotten enough to really know what's happening for their patterns distribution time of year and disease and all of that so Coas County is a big ask if you go up there and you find a tick save it and send it to the above labs please so we can get a better surveillance of that area um the second ask the second thing is um, Bebop Labs is actively trying to get into hospitals and um, present to nurses and healthcare practitioners of our findings and teach them about tick identification and the diseases so that they can better diagnose and treat um, a patient that potentially has a tick-borne disease. Um, mm. So um, getting into that situation is important and I think it's a big need. Um, the third thing is is the moose tick, which is an untackled problem in New Hampshire. Vermont's doing a great job at it. They have a really cool program where they spread a mushroom pore, spore called MET52. If anyone from Vermont is listening, let's put, move that program to New Hampshire too, please. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's uh, that's great. I appreciate you taking some time out to share some of this uh, with us. and. Um, you know, and there's a just a ton of information um, on your website at beboplabs.org, and I will include a link to that um, so that people can learn about the tick identification, the infographics you mentioned, all the research and data, uh, how they can send ticks in, um, and how they could donate to support um, if they want to do that as well. So there's a lot of different ways. If this is an issue that people that are listening are interested in doing more about, there's a lot of different ways that people can sort of plug in here from keeping themselves and maybe their friends and families, um, you know, safer, um, but also contributing to some of these data sets. Um, so appreciate all the work that you're doing on this. And um, uh, it sounds like everybody uh, is volunteering a lot of time here. So, you know, pass along a thanks to everybody else um, that uh, at Bebop as well. And, um, you know, thanks for coming on and um, sharing some information with everybody. Thank you. It's nice to virtually talk to you. Yeah. Hey, everyone, and thanks for checking out this special spotlight episode of Hanover Happenings. If you'd like to find all of the episodes of our Hanover Happenings podcast and prior updates, you can do so at HanoverHappenings.com or on wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like more information about other things happening in town, such as monthly reports, agendas, minutes, events, videos, and more, you can do so at HanoverNH.org. Thanks again for engaging with what's happening in your community.